Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well I'm joined today by Paul Million and yes that is his real name, Paul Million. I actually checked with it as you'll probably hear in a second at the beginning of the interview. And um, Paul, I guess you could say, is um, he's come from an ordinary background and has made good. I think it's it's far so fair to say that he threw himself into the uh, all the activities of being uh, hands-on in property before he, uh, as he calls it, lifted his head up. I think he used quite a different phrase, but he lifted his head up and had a look around a little bit later and he's now doing other bigger and better things in property. But I won't spoil it for you. I'll let him tell you in his own words now as we have a conversation about how Paul went full-time in property and what he's up to now. Enjoy. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? How are you doing, Richard? You well? Yeah, no, very well, thank you. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Hopefully I'm on top of I feel it. Excellent. Well, we've already had a conversation before the conversation and a conversation a few days ago in anticipation of this conversation. So I think um, I think there's some great content that you've got and some uh, and a fantastic story. So I think it's going to be great to share with our audience. So thanks very much for joining me. Um, thank you. Um, now, elephant in the room. Paul, your name is Paul Million. So mm. it's almost like, you know, is it like a stage name or something? Is that is that for real? Come on, tell me. I did a presentation on mindset for um, a women's group, and uh, they, were, they were all looking across at me, like looking at my name badge, and uh, you know, like looking and sort of having a bit of giggle. And one of them came across and went, uh, "Your name's not actually Million because you're not actually Paul Million on Facebook." And I was like, oh, "I was the last time I looked." And she's like, "You've changed your name," and I was like. What do you think? <laughs> do I strike you as that kind of that kind of a vain fella? Um, what it was, there was um, two two Scottish vagabonds did some terrible stuff north of the border there, and uh, fled Scotland and thought, well, what should we do? How do we disguise? How do how do how do we disguise ourselves? We'll we'll call ourselves Million, um, and it's a pretty unheard of name. But there's actually quite a few of them around. Uh, not so much Darlington, where I'm from, but uh, Bishop Auckland and uh, uh, West Auckland. There's there's quite a few of us uh, up north tucked away here in our Heidi Hall. Yeah, so it is actually on my birth certificate and real. I was getting my driving license out, credit card. Yeah, you know, but they wouldn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> the person convinced against the will is of the same opinion still. No, no. <laughs> Who's called, who, who do you know that's called after a number? It's, it's crazy, isn't it? But there yeah, you go. But I mean, it's very interesting that, you know, we're obviously talking about going full-time in property and probably the inferred implication is about wealth creation. And uh, mm-hmm. your name is Million, so it's almost almost destiny. <laughs> so, mm. I've, so been, I've been asked, why haven't you capitalised on, uh, you know, why haven't you capitalised more on that? And uh, I don't know, it's because I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm a bit sort of conscious of it in a way. I think it, it boosts me along, but it also, um, you know, I'm a little bit conscious of not being uh, too in your face with that. Yeah. You know, and company no would make for a bit of a cheesy company name to be like Million Property or Million Property <laughs> Training if I ever went down that route. No, yeah. probably not. Yeah. I think of something way more. I've actually just uh, set up a company called Property Addiction and I don't whether to roll that one out or not. I've got a really good logo for that as well, but it involves a syringe. You know, uh, <laughs> I can imagine having some fun with that name. Anyway, but um, I just wanted to get that out of the way. So you are real and genuine, authentic, Paul Million. Thanks for joining. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're doing on this, uh, on this uh, series, if you like, is walking through... The, the journey of uh, of people who've gone full-time in property, who've made it and are full-time in property initially. We'll come on later on. There's a couple of people we're going to bring on who are either a little bit down the track or just the beginning of the track. But obviously in your case, very much, um, I wouldn't say you've crossed the finish line because you're probably doing the, doing the lap of honour several times over. But um, um, <laughs> what would be useful is if you could take us back, what I normally say is can you just take us back to before property just describe a little bit of what your life looked like, what you were doing, and then maybe what was that spark or that trigger 
that kind of decide, you know, just lit something inside of you to get involved in property. Would that be okay to start with? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> going back a while before property, I um, I had the honour of going to a school called Barnard Castle School, and I don't want people to think, oh, he's been privately educated, that's why he's done so well, because blah, 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 he's had a step up the ladder. It wasn't like that. It was because I think in um, junior school, I probably acted as, uh, I like to say, stick as a way along this. I, I, I wasn't reaching my full potential, should we say. My two sisters were bright. They went to a comprehensive school. When, it, when, it, when, it came, when my dad came across me going to secondary school, he'd, he'd actually been... Uh, Left, left a bit of, uh, not, not a lot of money, probably enough to buy a little buy-to-let at the time by his dad. And he decided to spend that very unselfishly on my education. And I still didn't do really a right lot with that. Um, but I was always conscious inside me that I wanted to get on, you know, that <clears throat> even though I wasn't, I was probably, you know, below average as a student, probably a bit well below average as a student. I used to mix with a lot of sort of farming types and, uh, you know, traveller types and all sorts of types, you know, people from Bishop and West Auckland and what have you. And I used to think, well, hold on, you're just a normal lad. And if your mum and dad are driving up their school driving a Bentley or, a, you know, a big Merc or a Porsche or whatever, then, you know, you don't have to be super-duper clever to be, you know, super-duper rich. And as we go through our lives, we read these books about people that have come from nothing, from council estates, from this, from that and the other, um, doing well. And I always had this sort of burning desire inside me to, uh, to do well. And just as I was leaving school, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I went to college. Um, and then I ended up joining the Navy. But at the time, I read a book called... Uh, I used to like dealing in, in stuff. I was always dealing in car, uh, dealing in pens and whatever, ink and cartridges and stuff like that at school suites, you know, the old story. Everyone says, that. oh, yeah, I used to deal with loads of suites and stuff at school. Yeah, I used to do all that sort of stuff, but I was the kind of kid that would... I'd be off down to the uh, river fishing on sports day instead of actually doing what I was told. So I was a little bit beyond the conventional. Um, now... As I left school to join the Navy, I came across a book called The Four Wheels to a Fortune, uh, which is about buying and selling cars from auction. And that led on to a book called The Midas Method. Now, I talk a lot about this book now. In fact, you used to be able to get them for three quid on eBay. Uh, now you've got to pay like over 20 odd quid. There's a bit of scarcity going on there. And this book called The Midas Method was about writing out your goals, believing in yourself, and um, believing that you could do it, as well as believing that you were worth it. Writing out your goals, visualizing and uh, and do you know what that absolutely changed my life so i joined her majesty's royal navy having not been that in love with school loved school but wasn't in love with the academic side of it um and i then signed up for three and a half years at royal naval marine engineering school what did i do that for um because <laughs> i got quick promotion i know what what do you do frying pan fire there you go me paul um and throughout the navy again you know not the sharpest tool in the bag but a hard worker. And I think that's what it's about. It's about the graft. And, you know, I, I, I had these goals set and I was visualising every day and I was winning Best Apprentice on Sea Training Award, HMS Sultan's Leading Artificer Award, you know, Best Bearing Dressing Kit. You know, I was just, I was honest. That was it. I'd found my niche, if you like. Um, I, I was, I promised myself when I joined the Navy, I was never going to fail one more exam ever. That was it. That was me. I was going to put the graft in. <clears throat> Certainly not the most academic, but there I was but I, I always felt like I wanted to be in business and by about the age of 22 because I was a marine engineering technician I got quite quick, quick promotion so I uh, every time I got promoted I uh, well my first house my mum was an estate agent now that sounds brilliant like she could get me all sorts of deals and what have you but that's not the way it was she was a bit by the book in fact by the time I got to my fourth property she was like begging me not to buy any more properties what, what's the point you're getting onto all this debt you know you, you're saddling yourself with debt um you know you're going to end up in the you know whatever um anyway so by the age of about 22 as a uh, a leading hand which is like corporal level in the the army equivalent I, I bought a house and I was going home on a weekend from land base uh my parents were helping me out. Not a particularly great job of the refurb, but we got it finished and got it done and dusted. And I, I got promoted again, uh, went to sea. They helped me with my, my second property as well. And then by the time I'd got to about uh, four properties, I actually, I'd got to the rank of petty officer, which is the equivalent of a sergeant in the army. And then I decided that I was going to leave the Navy because they brought out a phase of redundancies and they were going to pay me 17 whole thousand pounds. Now, I'd set out my stall as being the best kind of marine engineering technician I could probably be. 
but I had this thing inside me that just wanted to do something different. And I just knew that I didn't want to do 22 years of that, even if I was building property on the side. But having those four properties at the time and having the security of 17,000 quid to leave, um, this is going back to 96. Um, that's yeah, 92. Back, say again? 1996. Yeah, 1996. And 17 grand back then was probably equivalent of about 35, 40 grand now. So it was enough to buy another buy to let. And that's what I did. I bought a house for 17,000 quid. As I left, I did all of the resettlement courses up in Catrick, plumbing, joinery, uh, decorating, every course you can imagine. And with already being a marine engineering technician, I was fairly handy dude anyway. Uh, and I was all about getting home. A few hours for the girlfriend, a few hours as a kid. Uh, well, at that age, you know, 19, 20 was rat boy because while everyone was out getting tiddled down the pub, I was scratching away in some basement or scratching some wallpaper off somewhere or mixing up some backing off plaster ready for the plaster the next day, you know. So, you know, I used to drive 400 miles home from uh, Plymouth uh, and spend a weekend doing a house up or whatever, get, getting in amongst it. And I've just got this kind of addiction to property and cracking on and, you know, so that was, I left the Navy, went to work for my dad, um, doing embroidered sports and leisure wear, and uh, was always doing the property on site. So I was building my houses. By the time I got to about five or six properties, I was literally borrowing properties off people to take the fronts of them off, to put them all back up again, to agree a price. And, you know, I was literally getting right into some of the structural stuff, if you like. Um, I'd... First property, I was kind of stripping wallpaper and bits and bats. Second property, doing a bit of decorating. Third property, doing a bit of joinery. I used to watch this fella called Norm Abraham. Uh, you can still get him on YouTube, but he used to be on like Home and Leisure Channel. And I used to watch that guy all the time. He used to be a fantastic joiner and carpenter. He could make anything out of wood. He was absolutely great. Um, and I learned a lot just from that. You know, that was our, uh, you know, that day equivalent of having YouTube. Uh, it was kind of sitting in front of the telly on the night and putting Norm Abraham on for me. And, watching people make skirting boards on spindle builders. I was just interested in that kind of thing. I bought a cottage as well, which took me three years of weekends and uh, nights doing it up. And that, I just learned all about reclaiming timber and just, so I underpinned the back of it myself. I dug a massive koi pond and built the outhouses out of the cobbles that I got. I nicked a lot of cobbles off the riverbank as well. And, you know, I just, I was just like a resourceful type of person. Um, and I just loved the challenge. I, I went to college and did a, a year's bricklaying one day a week on day release and then thought, oh, yeah, that extension's pulling away from the back of that house. I'll buy that place for 38 grand and, uh, you know, spend seven grand on it in three or four months of my own time, actually moved into that property. And, um, yeah, spent seven grand and it sold it for 98. So what's that, like a, a 45 grand profit for the sake of, cobbling an extension back to the back of the house, making sure it wasn't going to move any further, damp-proofing it out, refurbing it out. Um, I, I sort of built a little bit of a mastermind of decent tradesmen around me. You know, so I was I was on my way then, really. And as I um, kind of worked for my dad, I built my dad's company up from being, you know, quite small to having 16 people working for us. And uh, I was running around the country getting loads of business, embroidered spots and leisure wear, athletic unions all around the place. But nights and weekends, that was probably time. Yeah. So, and I ended up, <clears throat> I went, I went around all the banks um, asking for, you know, I wanted to buy 50 houses. I used to sit next to the Darlington landlords the old stuffy bunch, you know, and me, young whippersnapper with sort of four or five properties and then with sort of 60, 70 properties and, uh, you know, all the guys. And I used to find it quite difficult to uh, get information out of them like I was some kind of, uh, you know, young upstart trying to nick the business. Well, I mean, there's enough property out there for everyone. And that's why I run, I run this place now with Anthony Boyce, the property thing, because I like to impart that knowledge, you know, to people that deserve it, people that have got that about them, you know, um, I like, I like to impart that knowledge because part of the reason is because I used to find it difficult to find the right information on. Maybe I wasn't looking in the right places, but the Landlords Association was certainly the place where um, I, I kind of got my, right, I, I want to get 60 houses together. That, that was my goal. So I started going around the banks after having had these properties, you know, five, six, seven properties for quite some years. The little cottage that I did up paid 55 for it. Um, turned it into, I think it got valued at three years later, about 200,000. Um, was able to pull money out of that. Basically, I'll borrow money off. I've done, I've done a post on Facebook called uh, 
remortgaging your granny. Um, you know, I'd borrow money off anyone. I'd, 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 I'd borrow a house off anyone to, 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 you know, do it up, pay them later, buy now, pay later. You know, I think they call that no money down nowadays, don't they? Um, yeah, so I've just basically cracked on and I built up. Uh, so I went around all the banks asking for uh, enough money to, you know, saying I want to buy 50 houses. Can you help me do that, please? And um, I got I got a lot of knockbacks, as you can imagine, but persistence is to the character of man as garbanist as steel. And uh, I kept on keeping on and I came across the HSBC. And I actually think this manager at the time was a bit like, right, okay, you know, we'll test this young guy. So I'd rocked up with about five or six thousand, probably ah, 150 grand's worth of equity in them. You know, going back then, that was probably quite a bit of brass. I think I'd, I'd met Richard back at the time. I didn't, didn't even think to think what an interest rate was. So it was like, if the mortgage was 200 quid and you, you know, and you were getting 350 pound rent, then that was all right. You know, didn't think about interest rates going up or down. I mean, there was Myris at the time, mortgage interest relief at source. I mean, that's how old I am, you know, uh, 28 odd years ago, Myris mortgages, whereby the mortgages were so high, you actually got an interest relief when it was actually your own mortgage. And unbeknownst to me, of course, uh, my financial advisor ended up getting me about three or four of those at one point, uh, which I shouldn't really have had. Um, but there you go, you, 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 you move on. Um, I ended up going to the HSBC. This, this manager from the HSBC actually sort of, in a way, took me under his wing. But when I told him of my ambitions and these other landlords in the uh, association that had like 60, 70 properties, and, you know, there's only one way to buy, to get 60, 60 or 70 properties, and that's to buy them. And however, by hook or by crook, I just made it my business that that was my goal. And the HSBC guy said, okay, yeah, um, but if you mess this up, Paul, um, I'm going to take your houses off you and sell them to those guys sat <laughs> with the 60 or 70 houses in your landlords association. And I thought, right, I mean, that gave me massive fire in my belly, to be honest. But the thing is, I've got, I talk about left brain and right brain people. I've been in this morning with uh, my solicitor. He's a lovely guy. He's a young fella. He's, you know, he's, he's ambitious and what have you. And he's, he wouldn't mind me telling you, he's got, he's got a, a bit of money saved up, you know, enough to go out and buy a bike to that. So I'm like, right, well, why aren't you doing it? And what's the crack? And he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just waiting. I've got such a lot of work on at the moment. And I was like, right, okay, what about Sundays? What about Saturdays? And he knows what I'm saying is right. You know, I'm saying there's 24 hours in a day. You sleep for eight. You might work for 10. What are you doing with the rest of the six hours? You know, it, there, there is more time in the day than we think. Um, and I just, anyway, so going back to my uh, HSBC story, uh, the guy signed me off half a million pounds which was very, very nice of him. And I spent that in about three or four months and went back for another 250. Um, I built up a portfolio of about 21 houses over the next uh, three or four years, and they were charging me about 3% over base. And I went back to the bank, and that guy had actually left and got replaced by this other stuffy dude. Um, I didn't get on with massively, to be fair. I don't think he bought into my uh, dream and my journey. And uh, I said, right, okay, look at all these buy to This is when buy-to-let mortgages were starting to filter in, you see, probably about 2001, two, three. Um, and I was saying to the bank, look, you know, you charged me 2.5%, over base. Like, I'd like to be borrowing money at 1% over base, like all these other mortgages. And he said to me, oh, well, to, to, book, to, to borrow that kind of, sorry, to get that kind of uh, interest rate, you'd have, to, you'd have to be borrowing about £3 million. Pounds. I was like, all oh, right, okay, no problem with it. Yeah, put that in my bag and uh, <laughs> we'll crack on. And uh, of course, we laughed and uh, didn't seem to get much sense out of him. So I actually remortgaged about 20, yeah, 21 houses away from the HSBC at the time and, uh, and pulled a lot of money out. I, I've, I've never been scared of borrowing money. Like my uh, traveling friend says uh, to me, uh, he said, always get, your, always get your kids in a bit of debt. He said, uh, you know, bit of, bit of good debt never did anyone any harm. And I agree with that, you know. And at the time, we did get capital appreciation, of course. Now, this comes with a massive word of caution, you know, and we'll, we'll get into this in a bit. But I remortgaged those 21 houses, and I basically bought about another 10 or 12 houses a year for the next three years running. Now, if anyone came to me with that idea, <laughs> I would give them a slap and say, stop being silly, unless you had a seriously big investor behind you that could afford to back it. You know, I was basically putting everything, my, my nose to the grindstone, 
my pedal to the metal, my foot to the floor, and I was I was going for it. And as you can imagine, this was all at the same time as having a full-time job. So as well as working the nights and the weekends, I was just I was having to take a, you know time throughout the day to speak to. Can you imagine the amount of surveys I had going on? The amount of surveys. It was, you know, so I rode the buy to let wave, if you like, when you know companies were chucking money at me at 85%. Loan to value and um, you know decent issue rates of interest and um, I mean some some paper companies are often like hundred percent mortgages it was crazy same day remortgages all that kind of stuff and it was just like hey I used to have a friend of mine Sean who uh, he was buying houses kind of on a similar level to me um, and uh, we used to ring each other up you know five five sometimes ten you know two thousand was it three four and five when we had that real good old property boom. And we're ringing each other up saying, hey, property price has gone up like one and a half percent in a month, two percent in a month. I've made 80 grand. It's like, what? 80 grand on paper? Or, you know, gone up one percent. I've made 50 grand. Uh, and, and of course, when the prices came down again after 2000, <laughs> we'd be like chatting to each other. Like, oh, how's your property price? Oh, how's the weather? Yeah, not, yeah. We didn't talk about the uh, didn't prices. Mention, didn't mention the, uh, the paper. Yeah. So the thing is, as Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Now, I was kind of going through hell with the amount of properties that I had sat around ready to do up. And I was, a lot of these houses I was buying, you wouldn't let a chicken live. You know, that's where I've made my uplift, if you like. And that's where, when, when 2008 came around and Mortgage Express wanted to speak to me about that, I only had about 12 right there. Um, and they said, well, you know, uh, we, you know we're going to need you to sort of remortgage your properties away from us and you're going to have to find another lender and various other. And I was like, well, you know, look, when the tide goes out, you can see who's not wearing any trunks. I said, my trunks might be a bit pink and frilly, <laughs> but at least I've got them on. You know, you'll not be forcing me away or repricing my bills. Well, I sure want that image, to be honest with you, Paul, but that's okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Picture this. Um, so... Yeah, I, 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 I then went full-time in property when I had 35 buy-to-lets, okay? Now, that's a lot. I thought when I got 12 properties, I'd be able to go full-time in property originally. And I thought, okay, maybe 15. All right, it's looking like 18. All right, it'll be 21. All right, it'll be... And I just kept going like that. Now, the reason that it took me so long to be able to make the jump is A, I had flexible employment, whereby I was putting the hours in at work as well. Uh, I worked with my dad, um, had some good staff that needed managing, um, and uh, I was refurbing. And because I was spending so much money on these properties, you know, I might have had three or four lads working for me at any one time, like on these on these houses, turning them round. But I'm also a massive perfectionist, and I don't skimp on materials or anything like that. Um, I once had an inspection off the council because they wanted me to go accredited. I didn't. I thought I don't need to be accredited. Thank you very much. And uh, you know, people walk into my houses and generally go, "Yeah, it's nice. I'll take it. Thank you very much. Why do I need to be accredited?" And the council said, well, we'll give you um, 10% off your, uh, or 20%, I think it was, off your HMO uh, license fees. I went, all right, we'll do that then. So what they do is they take 10% of your full portfolio and inspect them. And uh, when the guy from the council had finished the inspection, he, he actually rang me. He didn't actually pick six of my best properties. It was a fair, it was a decent little spread. Um, and he, the guy rang me from the council, especially to say, can I, can I just commend you as a landlord um, on the standard of properties that you rent out? Um, absolutely great, you know, all fantastic little properties. I was like, oh, thank you very much. wasn't wasn't the best ones by any stretch of the imagination. But thank you, I appreciate that. So I became accredited, and then uh, they stuffed that off a couple of years later. But um, yeah, so that was my buy to let journey. And then I, when I went full time in property, pause, pause for 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 a breath, Paul. Pause for a breath. Then. Um, so thirty five properties. Um, what, what, when was that or how long into, you know, starting out was it? Can you give us some sort of time reference? That would be by about 2005. So then you're about approximately what, 10 years in, nine, 10 years in? Would have been, um, yeah, 
That would have been about oh, right. So by, by 2008, no, no, sorry, I'd have been longer than that. And by 2008, I started to build some industrial units when the world collapsed financially. And I think I'd been in it 18 years. Yeah, I think I started in about 91, 92. Oh, yeah, because I forgot you started whilst you were in the Navy. That's okay. right. Yeah. It was 96, wasn't it, when you said that you had the 17,000 from the Navy? That's um, right, and I left having four or five properties. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, just that's those, those, those properties, by the way, gave me that choice, even though I only had sort of four, four well, about four properties. I think my fifth property is the one that I bought with my um, uh, redundancy money. And those properties, now I was probably earning maybe 18 grand a year as a petty officer, which is equivalent maybe 30 grand a year now, something like that. Now, that's not really enough to think, right, I'm going to leave now, even if you get paid for six months after. But having those extra little properties there is a bit of a backup. And having a, you know, a, my family were behind me as well. You know, I, I wasn't going to starve. I went to live back at home with my mum and dad, even though I had these houses. You know, I wasn't going to kick a tenant out to go and live there. I'd rather live in a, a, a tent in the park than, uh, you know, lose rent. No. Um, I actually rent this little office. Uh, it's £200 a month. It's the only thing I do rent. And it, it brings me out in a rash paying that, you know, I prefer to collect it rather than uh, pay it. But there you go. It just gives me that flexibility. So someday I'll develop something that uh, actually, when I built my industrial units, I built myself a little unit there and thought, hold on, you know, £600 a month I could get for that. I just rent it out in the end. Or the other follow-up I just wanted to ask is, why did you keep resetting the bar of the number of properties that you would need to go uh, full-time? You said you went, it was 12 originally, and then you just kept lifting the bar, and eventually at 35, you said, okay, that's enough now. What what made you keep changing and lifting the bar? Well, um, that's a great question, and it was all about money, to be fair. It was about having enough money to survive and do what I was doing because my activity was so intense. Um, and I needed such a lot of money for refurb. So every property that I was doing up, I was basically needing about you know 10 grand. If I was on the tools myself, maybe eight, 10 grand to, to turn a refurb around. And when you come off the tools, are you purposing other builders and what have you to do that uh, refurb for you? You might be talking 12,000 quid to do a refurb. Um, and I just had such a lot going on. If I'd have done it inch by inch, life's a cinch, instead of yard by yard, life is hard, I would have probably been able to um leave sooner uh, leave yeah well make the step sooner um it just seemed a natural thing and there was a there was a time i bought this actual piece of industrial land for eighty thousand quid and um i went to the uh, yeah so i got planning permission on it and it got valued at 220 this was about 2006 2007 um after the big flurry of activity with uh with uh, with buying sort of 10 12 houses a year for three years running um and I thought, do you know what? That was quite easy. I bought a piece of land for 80 grand. Well, I actually borrowed the money off the fellow that sold me the land to buy it off him and called it a personal loan. So that's a proper no money down deal. Then got the uh, capital uplift of uh, the planning game. Then went to the bank and borrowed half a million pound to, um, to build some industrial units. So everything at this point was going swimmingly. I had a um, buy-to-let portfolio of about 40 properties by then. Um, so 2006, 7, 8, I'd bought, no, 2005, 6, 7, I bought another four or five properties, something like that. I was just I was just dealing with the tail end of buying all of those properties to refurb. Um, and, yeah, then decided to start doing some industrial units. Now, a wiser man might have just sold that land and pocketed the brass. But, you know, you get this ambition thing. You think, I want to build my, I bought, I bought a, a piece of land with a nice bungalow. Well, I bought a nice bungalow in a decent piece of land as well to knock it down and build myself a house, which never actually got done. I was going to build my industrial units and then uh, build that bigger house for me to live in. Because uh, the little cottage that I was now living in uh, started as a bachelor. All of a sudden, I've got five kids in there because I've met my sister who's got two kids, Julie, already to a previous marriage. And then um, we had another three kids and we had pulling drawers out. There was a kid in it. You know, we outgrew this little cottage. Um, so I bought this piece of land uh, in Low Conestbliff, uh, so this bungalow to knock down and build myself a house after I'd finished my industrial units. And that was my property life complete then, or so I thought. Um, so 2008, I thought, great. You know, so I'm only building industrial boxes. What could possibly go wrong? 
because um, I already owned, uh, through my business expanding, I owned three older uh, industrial units on this, this piece of land, and then I bought the land around them to build newer units on. And that's when you start feeling like a property developer. You know, buy-to-lets is one thing. I was putting extensions on the back of houses and repurposing stuff, trash. I mean, we would trash stuff out right back to the brick, you know, take the full sides, fronts of buildings down. We're not bothered. But when you actually start building something from scratch on a bare piece of land, um, when I saw those portal frames going up for those industrial units, that's when I felt like a, a proper property developer, you know. And just as I was feeling like a proper property developer, um, the whole world <laughs> collapsed. Yeah, 2008. <laughs> 2008, yeah. What oh, wow. about to be a property developer? So that... Yes, Derns, flipping Northern Rock, all those boyos. Now, I'd agreed the construction finance with the bank, but what I hadn't agreed with the bank, I'd agreed it, but not signed for it, the bank hadn't signed for it, certainly, was the terming out finance, the term loan. So, but the bank were actually quite kind to me. Um, uh, I have an expression about bankers, and it's about them being something that rhymes with bankers, but this particular bank were all right, and uh, we got out, we turned out all right. I guess they had no choice, really, because they were stuck with me. Um, and through a very good agent in Darlington, I ended up getting these units uh, rented as I finished them. And uh, we got some quite good blue-chip people in there. You know, we got some uh, Roland's Pharmacy in there, and we had this... Um, it was like a... At the time, uh, a bird flu uh, injection type, what do you call it? Um, whatever company, that, the antidotes or whatever it is that they inject in you to make it, immunity type stuff. Anyway, they, they stored those. So we had a, yeah, we had some good, and then we had some good local companies that were really good covenants. And I was able to, uh, uh, you know, get out of that little mess. My business partner, actually, as of now, Adam, who I own about a quarter of my portfolio with, he approached me at the time saying, hey, I've got some to spend. You know, is it a good time to start buying properties? And I was like, yeah, go on in. So we ended up, um, we looked at some other industrial sites, but that was a no-go. And so we just stuck with the residential and we put another little portfolio together between ourselves of about 22 properties. I was doing most of the work um, and, uh, you know, on site and, that was it, really. So, and we ended up getting some support tenancies together. But, but since 2008, 2009, I mean, what I loved about that is, of course, interest rates came absolutely tumbling down. And, and that really, since the last recession, and that's why I wasn't so scared when COVID came up, um, cautious but not scared, um, I, I was able to build a more varied and sort of wider-reaching uh, and more spread portfolio since 2008. Um, 2005, 2007, I bought two big houses, six-bed houses to rent to a charity as they had the licenses as HMOs. And I fell out with that charity because I've done a nice job of these houses. And of course, the people that they put in there weren't as nice as the people that they said they were going to put in there. And they ended up kicking lumps out the places. And I've got a problem with that. You know, they would replace a beautiful spindle on the staircase with uh, something from Howden's for a pound fifty, and I'd be like, "That, that's actually not acceptable." Um, anyway, so I ended up getting these two houses back. Like, oh, great! Um, and I rented one of them, a floor each, to different sectors of this huge family. Um, and the other one was just empty for a while. I was trying to get care providers uh, in, involved. I was trying to uh, think about other ways of doing it. And the charity actually came back to me and said, oh, we're losing our contract now. Um, so would you like to take out of 40 people that we've got to effectively make homeless or reprovision to other providers, would you take the six of the best? <laughs> and I went, do you know, I think I'm going to have to. Um, I was getting £35 per room per week off the care provider when they had the properties. But if I ran these people myself, I'd be able to get their housing benefit plus maybe £15, £20 a week top up. So I was actually maybe getting £75 a week per one, but I covered the bills. And um, I ruled them with an iron fist and a velvet glove. Didn't let them, you know, there was none of this uh, molly coddling care company that couldn't, you know, come round to the house at three o'clock in the morning and uh, drag you out and say, sorry, you're homeless uh, for damaging. Uh, so I personally, I laid it out to them and said, right, um, this is my house now. You damage it, there's going to be a problem. And uh, I basically just ruled them like that and they were fine. And that's how I ended up getting into HMO. So a few years later after, uh, oh, yeah, so what, what would be in now? Um, 
Yeah, so about five years ago, I went back into my portfolio and started pulling stuff out to do HMOs with. And I just did one after the other. So I already had these two big ones. When the kind of the big family moved out of the other HMO, I then filled that full of professional working people. And I thought, I really prefer these professional working people because there's no bother. I hadn't really thought about HMOs for professional working people. It wasn't a thing, not in Darlington anyway. And it really worked out well for me. I thought, oh, this is really quite all right. Um, not totally devoid of problems and, and more hassle than the Bartolet portfolio, but I thought, well, this is great. So I just did them up. I went back into my portfolio. As, as houses were coming up through national, natural sort of tenant wastage people moving out, I, um, I repurposed them as HMO. So a lot of the houses were already really nice. Just went in there, you know, hardwired smoke alarms, uh, fire doors, maybe a bit of a tickle up bit of farrow and ball here and there maybe some you know durable flooring and yeah so I ended up with kind of 19 I think I've got 20 HMOs now uh, three or four between Adam and myself and, and about 16 of, of my own so that that's good for cash flow and um, yeah I like it and, and I've got three essays as well uh, we just I don't really do a lot of flats or anything like that wish I'd done more actually over my time but uh, the ones that I do have, we have as essay. So mm-hmm. that's that. Great. And then, um, yeah. So size wise, it's so twenty eight HMOs. But your other buy to let's be size or, or have you yeah. So I'm about. I think I'm forty buy to lets um, of my own, sixteen HMOs of my own. Then I've got three HMOs with Adam. Uh, and we've got some other stuff, um, the industrial units. I've got about, my own, I've got about 75 properties, and uh, and my business partner, Adam, has half of 22 properties. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and quite varied. So I've, I've got 135 tenancies in total that I look after between myself and Adam, so that's quite a lot of uh, stuff going on. 135 tenancies? Mm, yeah. Um, how are you managing those? <laughs> well... I've got uh, my new colleague, Lewis Blakelock, who uh, actually met at the property thing. Um, he's like my business manager now, if you like. And uh, I've, got a, I've got an office manager. Uh, I'm actually looking for an accounts person at the moment, an accounts person who's incredibly uh, talented on social media and organisation and basically being a, a PA to me and various other stuff. So man or woman... <laughs> Present yourselves to me. I'm asking the universe for that person because yeah. I've been to I've been to more. Uh, you know, I've had more kind of not very good people from recruitment agencies where I just think I, I think there's one thing that's going to find this person. It's going to be my my brain sending out messages to the universe. I need that person. So, so you got now. So you should talk about Lewis and you, the other staff. Um, that that's quite a recent thing, is it? So yeah. Yeah, so, so it was basically me. Were you self-managing? Sorry, were you self-managing, therefore? Oh, yes, all the time. Yeah, my t- that, I've just been like a, a guy playing a one-man band, riding a skateboard, uh, herding cats, and just doing the whole thing myself, night and day, yeah. Uh, 100%. Yeah. Well, and I know that you're looking at different things going forward as well, aren't you? You're looking at different types of projects. Yeah. Uh, going forward so just a quick quick glimpse into that what what your current and future pipeline might look like is it is it more buy to lets and hmos oh no um hmos and co-living so at the moment you know i, I always like to have six or seven empties sat there you know it wouldn't feel right without uh, you know some um empty properties sat about so i've got at the moment to do that i've got Going into planning permission, a 12-bed HMO. I'm looking over at my wall, or my project sheets are up on my wall here. I've got four micro-service departments. So I've, I've identified there's a, there's a, there's a blurring uh, or a need, I think, between HMO and SA. All right, we'll get into that in a minute. But I've got four micro-service departments to do. Um, I've got an eight-bed HMO. I've got an eight-bed student HMO, which I'm probably going to repurpose now as a professional HMO. That's in Hartlepool. I only ever do stuff in Darlington, really, but Hartlepool. We got a spire care provider to buy a big HMO for them, and uh, they rented it off us for a really good price for six years. And that six years sharp came around and went. Um, so now I've got to repurpose that. Um, what else have I got? A 12-bed HMO to do, which is kind of co-living, 
Um, I've got a big building up by Darlington train station, which now the council are going to compulsory purchase order, which is a pain because I wanted to do 21 bed flats in there, or some service departments and flats with a little bit of co-living as well. And then I've got, uh, yeah, a couple in the offing at the moment that are uh, nice sort of 20 bed um, co-living developments or a mix of micro SA and co-living. So I'm definitely moving away from the buy to let stuff. I've, I've tied Lewis to me uh, by buying a buy to let with him. Uh, and we're doing a, you know, a JV, and uh, and then but but the next thing we do will be a, a small commercial conversion, probably get some flats into that. I'm just I believe in small units of accommodation. I mean, stemming from so being a bloke that's got lockups all around the town, property all around the town, a million things going on. Like some of the best times in my life had been utter tranquility when I'd be I bought a motorhome. I used to take it up to the mountains. It had my snowboard, it had a big garage on the back, snowboards in there, generator, fuel, extra water, uh, all, you know, the thing full of all the right food, all the right provisions, all the right clothing. And I used to just go up like a hermit and live in the mountains uh, next to a ski resort so I could get on the ski lift um, and just live there for two weeks, just reading, catching up on box sets, kidding myself I could run my businesses from, uh, from, from, from up in the mountains. And I did that three years running. I got about eight or nine weeks per season snowboarding. I'd just leave it somewhere like Geneva. i fly back and forward, easy jet, cheap as chips, and just uh, pay my ski pass. And that would be me in the mountains for a couple of weeks. And the, the, the feeling I used to have up there was just complete... Everything I needed was in that small space. I used to do all my best ideas, all my best cooking, you know. Uh, my son used to come with me, my brother-in-law every now and again. But a lot of the time, I'd just be by myself, and it was amazing. And I, and I really love that kind of micro-living, if you like. Everything you need, like no wastage. I love this. There's a program on Netflix called Minimalist or Minimalism. Have you, have you, met, have you seen that? It's brilliant. And these guys just live off. Just well, a few items of clothing. You don't need all the stuff that we've got in our lives, you know. Sometimes when these HMOs are getting finished and the rooms are beautiful, like lovely handmade desks out of scaffold bands, my mum would uh, balk. Um, yeah, and, and they've got this, like, you know, mode of living, and I, I really like that, and I really want to take that into co-living, as it were, and with also a little bit of co-working. So that's the future. Um, the reason I was smiling a little bit is uh, my one of my eldest daughter... Um, she's her vision is to um, basically convert a, a van, uh, and she calls it van life. So she mm-hmm. wants to convert a van and then uh, and then travel in it and live in it. So yeah, I know exactly about that. And in fact, I've got um, me I've got someone else who's going to be I'm going to be mentoring shortly who's who's doing exactly the same thing. So I think it's trending, uh, micro living, minimalist, you know, lifestyle. It goes hand mm-hmm. in hand with some other things like sustainability, uh, for example. Um, my, my oldest daughter's a vegan, as it happens, you know. So this sort of the millennials are starting to think in this way. So I can see why you're heading in that direction. Um, mm. There's an appeal for it. But well, just in the interest of time, I just think what I want to do is to get a few um, life lessons out of it because we've got this story, um, and I'm sure the story is continuing it, by the sounds of it. But um, I guess just as you look back, you know, were there key things that, you know, you, you maybe messed up a bit or um, are the key things that made the world a difference? I remember you talked about reading that book, The Midas Method, being a, a massive catalyst for change. But if you just pause for a minute and think about those key moments where they, you know, you got a fork in the road and you just mm-hmm. decided to go this way or that way. And it did it work well? What didn't work so well? That kind of thing. You know, I lived my life by this expression. People that know me will be cringing now because I, I always say, in every adversity lies the seed of a greater benefit. And that comes from Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. Now, I've not, I've got a book, I've got a shelf full of books, but I'm not that well read because I've just been literally, well, I tell myself I'm too busy. I've got a few books inside me, but I've consumed them and I own them inside me. And uh, yes, one being the Midas Method, the, the main one. But I always say in every adversity lies the seed of a greater benefit. And every time I've been kicked in the backside, every time I've ended up flat on my face, every time I've been um, 
you know, thinking, you know, this is it. When I, when I did those industrial units and I thought as, as 18, you know, I beat myself up then for being too ambitious. Like, has 18 years of hard work been, you know, put to the sword because of my goddamn ambition? You know, did I have to build these industrial units? Why didn't I sell a piece of land? And then the next thing, interest rates come down to like less than 1%. Um, investors start coming out of the woodwork. Uh, you know, with money to spend that they used to have at the bank at 6%, now it's at 1%. So in every in every adversity lies the seed of a greater benefit. Um, forks in the road. I wish about 15 years ago, maybe earlier, I'd gone out to investor finance. Uh, I really feel as if two people can do more than the work of, you know, three times the work of one person, if you like, and having that right mastermind of people around you. I mean, I've just been, what we say in Darlow, head down arsehole for this last three decades, cracking on, and just over the last year or so, probably, yeah, about a year and a half now, I've been sort of property networking. I wish I'd networked, you know, the property thing is an absolutely brilliant group of people. We, we're not like, you know, your average or whatever, where they've got courses to sell and stuff like that. You've been and done a presentation to the meeting, yep. and it, which was very well received, by the way. We really enjoyed that. And you're welcome back at any time. In fact, we, we you. want you to come back as soon as. Um, everyone in chats there says, what a fantastic meetup this is. Absolutely brilliant. No airs and graces, few pints. We do it on a Friday night so we can have a Ruby, Ruby Murray curry afterwards. And we all just chat property. And the group chat is just full of friends, you know, property friends. It's just people getting on and helping each other out. And that's what that's what I'm all about. And I wish I'd sort of stuck my head above the parapet and had a bit more of a look around rather than just getting completely ensconced in, in the actual journey. I mean, I was on the tools myself for, you know, 20-odd years of my 30-year property journey. Um, and I love that. But I see that as being a downside. But then... I've got 135 rents coming in. Um, I, I do spend an absolute fortune still on refurbs and will do for the next few years. My accountant's like, Paul, what are you doing? This is it's like self-flagellation. You know, save some of your money, but I'd rather I'd rather spend it on refurbs, growing the portfolio, than give 50% of it to the tax man. Um, you know, I, I pay a good whack of tax every year, but I, you know, when I look at what I would be paying if I wasn't spending money on refurbs and what have you. Um, just not worth it to me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm restructuring at the moment. I've got a really good tax advisor. And, of course, I've got most of my uh, portfolio, or a lot of my portfolio, rather, in my own name, where I wish I'd had it in a limited company from, you know, well, from the beginning of time, really. But, uh, of course, you, you, you borrow this money the easiest way possible, and the easiest way was in my own name at the time. So, you know, a lot of my properties are in my own name, so I've got to effectively start buying those now through into limited companies. And there's all these, you know, it, property is, it's not easy. Um, and what I would say to people, though, is, you know, I've alluded to the fact before that, I, you know, I've never been the sharpest tool in the bag, but what I have got is drive and motivation. And... Um, I'm also, I've got a really good bullshit filter. Um, and I hear so many stories. I help so many people out on a one-to-one -one basis. And like, what, you'll come around my house and chat to me. I'm like, yeah, because if I can see potential in someone, I'd love to spend an hour of my time completely free. It always ends up being three or four hours, as you can imagine. And getting a blank piece of paper and pen. What is the problem? What's stopping you? There's so many super intelligent people out there that have done all the courses, read all the books, done whatever, and there's the shelf help books. The books are off the shelf, on the shelf, the next book, next book, next book, next book, next book. And it's like, right, now's the time for action. And now's the time for accountability and self-accountability. Some very, very clever people out there that know a hell of a lot about property and have studied this part of the journey, but just jumping like a lemming off the cliff into the relative unknown. You make it as known as possible by obviously reading up on the right stuff. But people are looking for that answer. People are looking for that, well, what is it? You know, where, where, how, how do I take the next, next step? The thing is, it can be a bit of a contradiction because, you know, to be organised, you've got to start with the end in mind. Um, and people say, like, what's your why? Where do you want to be at? You know, don't start the journey unless you know what's at the end. But then on the other side of things, you have like, you know, people like me are saying, well, you know, take the steps and learn on your way. I've, I've learned, learned on the way. I've learned on the journey. And they say, you know, life is a, uh, success is a journey, not a destination, isn't it? And, and so people are thinking, well, 
do I have to start with the exact end in mind or do, do, do I just start and then sort of figure it out as I go along? And I think that the answer to that is actually having your goals written down on a piece of paper that you sit and visualise every morning. Just visualise yourself doing it. I won't get into all the mindset crap now because I'll be on for four hours. But like, literally, it's a case of believing in yourself, believing that you know you can do it and setting the goals and setting off in that direction. And even if you end up going, you know, a bit left and right, and that, that's part of your learning, you know. Every time you get tripped up, every time you end up in the wrong direction, um, you know, you, you end up bringing yourself around and heading in that direction, and, and that's, that's what you do. And then you just collect properly. And it's about, you know, the compound effect. You know, one, two, three, four, buy to let's, then people start getting into HMOs. There's a, there's a natural progression, isn't it? I've had this this morning with, with another guy where he's saying, well, I just want to get one or two or three or four sort of buy-to-lets. And then I might start thinking about the, you know, maybe doing a couple of flats. And then and people go on that curve, don't they? But it's when you get out of the buy-to-lets and into the HMOs and SAs and co-living and commercial conversions, that's when you really start to compound and uh, really start to build your cash flow. But um, feel the fear and do it anyway. That's what, that, that's, that would be my tip for most people. And where do I get the money from to do it? Ask the universe, ask everyone, ask your parents, ask your brothers, sisters, aunties, uncles, because to JV with these people now, anyone that you know who's got a little bit of money, uh, it takes a long time to save money up. Get a Sainsbury's loan for your, for your deposit. Or I'm talking actually pre-COVID times now or uh, two years in the future. Obviously, we have to be very careful with COVID. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not trying to say to everyone, just shoot from the hip and go and buy something straight away. Um, obviously, that's been a blip on the uh, been a blip on the radar. That one hasn't it? Oh, <laughs> just a bit, yeah. But I mean, yeah. I think in every what did you say? Um, you you had the right quotation, but basically, every cloud is a silver lining, doesn't it? So in every adversity lies the seed of a greater benefit. Hundred percent. I know that. Yeah, yeah. it seems to be. Put yourself out there. Yeah. Well, the um, it's it's interesting some of the things that you've done. So, for example, you you there are some key moments I've picked up. That conversation, first of all, the conversation with the HSBC bank manager. I mean, there was actually conversations before that. So you, you started investing when you were working in the Navy. So you bought your buy-to-lets and started doing stuff. But then you thought about the landlord's meeting that you went to. And you, you set this goal, didn't you? I think, actually, I wasn't sure if it's 50, 60 or 70, because every time you said it, it seemed to go up. So uh, yes. it was it was seemed in that 60. area. 60. I wanted 60 properties. That was my goal, yeah. Now, the, the conversation with the HSBC thing and the fact that you got the half million facility. But what really impressed me is that you went and spoke to a bunch of other bank managers before HSBC, but you kept going. Oh, yeah. So that a lot of people go, well, I want 60 properties. I go and speak to my bank manager. Oh, my bank manager said, no, oh, that's not possible. I'll give up. Mm. But you didn't, did you? you didn't it's just up. a hurdle. It's, the thing is, if, you, if you've got goals... You know that you're going to get there. Nothing, nothing is going to stop you. Um, and if, if you notice, ever my my uh, my voice changes a bit when I start talking about that because it it actually wells me up inside um, to think about um, people not taking the opportunity that they need to take and not taking no for an answer is <laughs> not taking no for an answer is one of my biggest qualities. You know. And yeah. say, no, I'm all right, fair enough. If we can't agree, we'll have to agree to disagree. I'm going to go around you, I'll go above you, I'll go underneath you, I'll go over the top of you. But nothing's going to stop me getting to where I need to be. Now, sometimes I've regretted that and I thought, you know, I've done too much here, you know. And when I've not spent as much time at home as your average dad, you know, I justify that by saying, well, you know, I'm doing it for my kids, uh, you know, but actually, the other side of that is I won't be giving it to my kids uh, until such times as they could actually run it because it's like if you're like lottery winners getting whatever, a million pounds in the bank and a year later it's gone. It's like, no, you've got to be able to run that. I mean, that's actually a, a good little uh, segue, if you like. I'm, I'm currently with uh, Paul Smith from the Blue Oak Group who uh, and there's a few people that have really helped up over the last few last couple of years that have really taken it, not just what I've told them, but they've had that fire in the belly in them already. And I've just been able to, you know, fix the rudder a little bit and put them in a different direction and then see them go like that. 
And Paul's one of these guys and we've remained brilliant friends since he came to the second property thing where I thought the first property thing that we did, it was because basically pin meetings and PPN meetings, sorry, I'm going off a tangent here, pin meetings and PPN meetings had shut down. And uh, we were like, well, where are we going to network? I'd only been networking for a few months. That was this kind of jinx that, you know, <laughs> I go to a networking event and then close it down. <laughs> um, so we decided to do our own one. And, uh, and brilliant, brilliant people turned up. And I was expecting like five, ten people at the first one. And, of course, a lot of people, it's kind of like property thing. It's like people want to know how you got there. There's actually no golden elixir of uh, information here. It's just about graft and about mindset. But, like, 25, 30 people turned up. And I was like, what am I going to say to this lot? You know, so it was more, uh, you know, networking, saying what we did and just chatting on. And I was so enthused by the amount of people that turned up that were like, oh, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, maybe 25-year-old, didn't know how they were going to get there, but they were going to get there. They were the guys that I thought, you know, brilliant. You know, this is absolutely fantastic. And, um, yeah, it's just that that kind of thing, to see people going on, on the way and, and being able to help them out and just, I don't know, that, that networking thing, it's great. It's just a case of not stopping. So, um I started to get my kids involved a little bit, trying to get them along to property things. So me and Paul Smith from the Blue Oak Group, we do now a a mastermind, which is happening at one o'clock, which we now do every month with my kids. One of my kids says, uh, so Jake's 19 coming up. He's got a business partner, Max. I've got my daughter, Rosie, who wants to be an interior designer. She's 17. We've got Lewis, who sits in. And um, so between the four of them, we're kind of closely mentoring them. And saying, right, well, you know, what can we do? Can we, and it's not about just getting kids to be multimillionaires by the time they're 30 or whatever. It's about, it's about, you know, my kids are my kids and they haven't set the world alight academically either, but I want to give them this spark. And and the amount of people after I've posted on Facebook have said, excuse me, I'd like to be on that, <laughs> I'd like to be on that mastermind. Thank you very much. And I'm like, no, no, you know, this it's an experiment. We don't want to dilute it down too much or anything like that. But I think there's there's such a lot to be said about, you know, mentoring and just giving people the tools. I mean, I, I paid, you know, 12 grand a year to be mentored in commercial conversions. I wouldn't have it any other way. The next, following year, I'll be mentored by another commercial conversions dude. I can't imagine me not going now for the rest of my property career, being mentored by someone who has spent 20 years doing what I need to get into. It's like, so I'm going to take the, the fractionally distilled essence of your knowledge for 12,000 quid and, and put that into something where I might be spending 200, 300 grand a year on refurbs. And it's like, how could that not be the biggest, the best sprat to catch the biggest mackerel in the old wide world? Crazy. See, like, literally see your passion, um, well, throughout the conversation, but certainly in the last few minutes. But unfortunately, I've got to have an eye on the time, Paul. So um, I think probably, um, and I know if it's probably appropriate to talk about this because you and I, when we get going, we can get going um, mm. as we're talking, but... Um, I think what we said before we came on air was maybe that you you might like to write a few words in follow-up. Would, is that still the case that you're thinking? 100%. Or did you I'm, get I'm actually at my best when I'm writing because then I can uh, go yeah. back over and do some editing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think it'd be great if you wouldn't mind doing a, a, maybe a follow-up blog post, which we can share. Uh, that would be fantastic. But I guess really just to draw some conclusions and a close, um, maybe is there any last-minute thoughts or comments quite quick ones obviously and then and then how the people get hold of you if they would like to be inspired a bit more and learn about the property thing and just talk to you etc well i have uh, my facebook profile is just paul million okay um i'm on you know most of the sort of biggest groups out there uh property thing we have a facebook page called the property thing group um i'm gonna be starting you know my missus says uh did you say you're a gnu yeah because i'm gnu i'm gonna do this i'm gonna start an instagram profile i've actually started at paul million 99 uh, and there'll be some good stuff going on there soon i'm actually i'm rebranding at the moment and uh, all these co-living developments while you're going to be fantastically uh, interior designed by some other fantastic people who are on instagram so there's going to be a lot of great stuff to see on there um yeah so i, I guess that's me really and uh, yeah i look forward to doing a blog post or whatever you would call it or a follow-up <laughs> or anything like that. 
happy with that any time. And I'm happy to answer anyone's questions, by the way. And what I would ask people to do is to just um, keep on keeping on and just uh, believe in yourself um, and just actually take action every single day. I have a, I have a post-it note on my computer that says, three frogs and three pieces of elephant. You swallow a frog hole and you eat an elephant one piece at a time. And I empower you to do that every day. Not just your shelf help books and procrastinate action, as I call it. Actually take action. And you know what that action is. Like look inside yourself for the answers because it's right there. What a great way to end the conversation. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been no worries, it's always a pleasure. Um, I know we could talk again. We could talk forever. Um, there's so much you've got. And I do encourage people to reach out to you and connect with you. And the property thing, by the way, it was worth the journey of, uh, what, four hours or whatever it was I drove up to join you. I'd love to come back again. Obviously, once we've got total freedom of movement and meet, you know, large group meetings, love to come back again and, and share with your group. It was, um, it was quite special. So uh, if anyone can uh, just make a trip out there, uh, there's probably a couple of service apartments that people can book into, I believe, oh, yeah. to help with. So, yeah, it's worth doing that. So thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it, Paul. It's been very great. welcome. Thanks very much for having me. You're welcome. Well, there you go. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, so as I mentioned, Paul is, um, you know, probably approaching 30 years now in property. Um, started actually when he joined the Navy, as he mentioned. Um, got a few properties or buy-to-lets behind him and uh, did everything, I guess. He said it's all about the graft, didn't he? Um, so he got a few buy-to-lets together. He had a bit of support from the family, particularly with the, the hands-on elements and um, you know grew and grew I think he said at one point didn't he he said he was doing 10 to 12 houses a year for about three years so that's an incredible workload and I do know he has an incredible work ethic as well um, having got to know him now for a, a, a little while I also thought it's fascinating how um, I think just that little story he just told it didn't he as it was about getting the uh, the finance facility from HSBC having been turned down by a series of banks beforehand so I guess there's a lesson there, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, not knowing, you know, not to quit, just to keep going. I must admit, I'm not sure the uh, the banks will do that today, but um, it just goes to show, just keep going and, and keep asking and it will happen. And uh, he talked about how he wanted to um, quit, you know, and, and go full time, if you like. And he kept resetting the goal, didn't he, upwards. Um, as he quite rightly pointed out, you need money to live on, but you also need money for refurbs and for deposits, etc. So it's quite an expensive business. So he kept lifting the goal and before he achieved that objective. And I do happen to know that he's um, he's been repurposing some of his existing portfolio of late to add incremental value. So to actually increase the equity, if you like, in that. And he's also moved on now to, you know, bigger developments and, uh, and, and sort of micro-living or um, co-living, if you like, as he talked about as well. So I thought that was, uh, that was fantastic um, to hear as well. Um, he talked about having his head down and his ass up. And uh, it, it really, if he looked back, he would probably have had his head up a little bit sooner and had a little look around. Uh, because he was working on the tools too much, you probably, I mean, 10 or 12 properties a year where you're pretty hands-on. That's, uh, you know, evenings and weekends are gone, aren't they? So uh, he said he wished he'd network sooner and had his head up a little bit sooner as well and, and maybe not worked uh, on the tools quite as much as he did. Um, he, he talks about this book, isn't it, The Midas Method, uh, probably selling out of uh, copies because it's out of print now. But uh, he, he swears by that book, so it might be something you can look up uh, yourself. And um, he, he, he's a you know, natural progression, I guess, was his summary, wasn't it? So these are some of his passing tips, you know, uh, progress naturally up the uh, property ladder, as it were, and, um, you know, move, move ahead that way. So there's quite a lot of takeaways. And, um, you know, owning assets will generate wealth, I think is a key takeaway of all. So I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I think the other thing, just to maybe passing point, is the, um, the property thing. Uh, yes, it's called that. <laughs> it's a networking group, property meetup that they have up in Darlington. I believe they're looking to add a second location a little bit further south. But it's actually worth a trip. Um, you know, it's quite a nice uh, country up there, countryside up there. So maybe make 
weekend of it. But go up there. They meet on a Friday typically. I know it's obviously difficult right now with COVID, etc., to to have a face-to-face meetup. But have a look out for when they're going to start meeting again. Um, it was it was a really friendly atmosphere when I went up to meet them. Um, you know, Paul and his uh, co co-host uh, Anthony Anthony Boyce. So they're a good couple of people. Uh, check out. You know, make make the special journey up to Darlington. It was a lot of fun. And if you if you like uh, a bit of a curry at the end of a networking session, then yep, it's the one for you. So it's very informal. Um, it's amazing. I was watching Paul just work the room as it were, and he knew everybody's name. And he was literally calling people's name out and quoting information about them. So he's got uh, the memory of an elephant as well. So there we go. That was Paul Million. Hopefully you enjoyed that. We've got another guest coming up this week. Perhaps a more familiar name to you, actually, but I'll, I won't spoil the surprise. We'll, we'll wait for next week and uh, share it then. But I guess all that's uh, left for me to say is the show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. If you want to talk to me about anything from today's show, you know you can email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. I'd be delighted to hear from you. If you want to connect with uh, with Paul, I'll put his contacts in the show notes, but equally you can get hold of uh, him through me on the email. That's absolutely fine. But I guess all that's left to say right now is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's Chat Chat. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.